Oh, I love my wife. She's up here saying I'm fired because I missed a couple syllables in there. And that's okay. Well, I did notice I forgot to read a card, so I'm going to read it just at the moment here. To our church family, thank you so very much for the care package we received. Many lovely snacks to enjoy while in recovery. We are so blessed. Merry Christmas, Josh and Ocean. So uh, for those of you that, that weren't quite aware, Josh had some plain sense veins removed uh, that were, were causing him problems. He had this done a couple years ago, but uh, quite the procedure uh, for a young man. So he, he's, he's recovering. He was down to men's Bible study Saturday morning, uh, brought Ocean's car down and just, just had to make sure he was okay on the steps and whatnot. But uh, I think his hardest, hardest thing again is sitting still. And so I'd just be, be praying for recovery and, and Ocean as they serve, and I know the family's stepping up. I told Josh I could change his, per, her, I almost said percussion socks. That's not what it is. Compression, Compression socks uh, for his circulation and whatnot. But he, I think he thought I'd be a little rough on his stitches uh, getting it over there and whatnot. But, uh, so we're, we're thankful for that. Now we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. It, uh, trying to, to do something a little bit, little bit different. Uh, Edward and um, Carissa were, were talking a little bit about not having junior church and kind of gearing it towards a, a children's service. And uh, partway through the week, I kind of got thinking, you know, every time I specifically gear a, a service towards kids, guess what happens? <laughs> So we're going to do a kind of a half and half. Uh, the message, and I know, I know it even kind of grows out of Wednesday night prayer meeting a, a little bit. It, uh, how, how do we pray for our country that seems to be losing its mind and the wheels are falling off? Like some of our conversations even this morning, like where, where is wisdom? Where, where is any kind of morality and ethical? Like where, where are any kind of bearings or landmarks. How do you pray for a country? And I, that's why I appreciate the older men in my life. Um, I know Mr. Hogue, he, he brings a, a very different aspect to it in that, you know, we are looking um, to what's coming but finding our place. Dr. Doherty, he shared, you know, we're, we're finding out where the people are, right? Not, not, just, not just God's people. We're finding out where our culture is. We're finding out where our teenagers are and how they think. <laughs> right, we're, we're finding out. Like, like we're, we're finding out where we are, and that's something to really settle because that's kind of been man's history, isn't it? When things are going good, blessings, countries grow, economy booms. But we don't stop to think where we are at before God, or where we're at as as a society until something terrible happens, and that's when we come. And and I'm going to say most of the time it isn't pleasant, and that's kind of kind of the essence um, as we're looking at Zacharias this morning and the angel appearing to him uh, just settling in, in my heart where the people were you know as Zacharias is serving before the Lord where was his nation what was going on around him um, you'll notice in the notes that I have in the bulletin there and that's what we'll be following this morning um, I just titled this a messenger of national salvation 
Uh, his country needed, <laughs> needed saved, needed rescued, needed delivered from where they, where they were at. And uh, so we'll just pursue that. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you just maybe with a sanctified imagination, um, just grasp the context of what's going on in this passage this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, just in the, the moments ahead, Lord, I thank you for just being here with us. I thank you for the, the music, Lord, these familiar songs of old, Lord, that most of us grew up with. Lord, just, just singing about you, singing about your birth, singing about your kingdom, uh, singing about a forever life um, with you in that kingdom. Lord, I thank you for what that means to those who understand it. Lord, I thank you for the verses that explain uh, this salvation, this hope that you've given us. And I pray that in the, the moments ahead, I pray in our time that we would read these verses with a renewed energy. I pray that you would illuminate this. This wouldn't just be a traditional, uh, feel-good, seasonal message, Lord. I pray that we would grasp uh, not just what was going on and what you were calling on, on Zacharias and his wife, uh, what you had in store for this child, <clears throat> but you, what you have in store for us. And I pray that these things would be simple enough that, that babes can understand, Lord, and, and deep enough that uh, we'll leave here chewing on them, Lord, that we won't be able to miss the application for our lives. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 1. I'd just like to read 5 down through 17, um, just to kind of familiarize ourselves, and then we're just going to be one by one making our way down through it. Easy peasy. Beginning in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, right? uh, Herod was a, a king, uh, a regent ruler underneath Rome, and uh, he was a crazy man. Great builder, right? had magnificent building projects, so Chris and I had a chance to see uh, a number of, of the remains uh, when we were in Israel from Masada to, to Caesarea Maritima. Uh, a bunch of different coliseums, um, but he was a wild man, right? It was all about him. It was all about power. You know the Christmas story. The wise men come to him, and he feels his kingdom is threatened, and what does he do? He ends up killing all the babies in Bethlehem, male children, two years old and under. That is a power-hungry, insecure man. And I think you may remember his dying wishes in, in 4 AD was for the people to mourn him. Well, Israel hated him. Judea hated him. And so he had the Jewish leaders, I'm going to say, penned up in a building, some sort of theater, and he had the doors locked, and he ordered the guards to kill them upon his death so there would be mourning in the city. He was a crazy man, right? But here, here we have him as part of our Christmas um, birth of Christ birth of John the Baptist narrative. So it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, Judea is a province in Israel, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiah. His wife was one of the daughters, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Okay, that just explains to us that they were both from a Levitical line. Okay, and they were both righteous 
before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Doing studies, and some of the scholars helped me with the commentaries and um, with the temple services. They, they, put, they put Zacharias and his wife around 50, all right, just with the, the serving and whatnot. So 50, um, past childbearing age biologically, uh, so they're in that place. Verse 8 So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, Levitical division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, they burnt incense that represented the prayers of the people of Israel. So as they, as they lit it, kind of like the candle, but they would put the incense on, and as the fragrance and the different things that you could see there, that represented the prayers of the people um, coming before the throne of God. So it was a very sacred thing for them, right? Uh, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, and this would be about 9 o'clock in the morning. Verse 12. And when Zacharias, part, nope, verse 11, sorry. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. It's important most of the time in their, their angelology, he, the angels appeared on the left side. Um, but this is on the right side, so perhaps that, that's why we see him troubled a little bit. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Just looking around for... Some, some women that are, are around 50. If you can imagine that news. Or dads, 50? <laughs> Chris and I are praying for kids and I'm almost 40. That's still a... I'll be 60 with a teenager. <laughs> um, anyway, that's personal. All right, 14. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drinks. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Very familiar text. Um, very something there that, that we draw comfort from in God's program. But uh, you start quieting yourself, and this is all I'm going to try to do this morning, is, is just have you read it um, as Luke is recording it. Read it for what was going on at the time. So coming back to verse 5, um, we just step into, I mean, here we have an older man's perspective. Now I say an older man, I mean, he's, he's in his 50s, right? And, and he's burdened, he's concerned. 
Um, there's problems. We understand that there's problems. I mean, Herod is a crazy man. There's, there's revolts and, and tension and, and, and political and social just problems. Not to mention, I'm going to say the word spiritual apostasy. I mean, his people are not where they need to be before the Lord. That kind of quieted me a little bit. Now, as Zacharias is going in and, and he's offering the prayers of, of his nation that's living in disobedience, what would that have been like? What, what, what would have been going through his heart and mind as, as, as he's, he, he's their ambassador for that? So here, I just, he has the older man's perspective. We have the problems of his country. We know that he's praying because the angel says, I have, God has heard your prayer. And then we're going to see his participation. So verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. So Zacharias is a married man. Do married men do anything on their own? I mean, we can try, but I, what I'm getting at is this is a partner thing. Right? As Zacharias is getting prepared to serve before the Lord, and we understand that, that it was organized and whatnot, but Sarah, or, pardon me, Elizabeth is part of that. As Zacharias is praying for a child, is he just praying on his own? <laughs> no. Elizabeth, okay, I'm trying to make sure that we have both of them in this picture. In verse 6, when it says, and they were both righteous before God. This was a godly marriage. Right? This is, they were one before the Lord, not just because they made a promise before the Lord, but, but if they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless, they were one spiritually. You can picture this husband and wife praying together, on their knees together, going to the temple together, um, and, and you just, just work, work through that together. So there's, right off the bat, we have a spiritual intimacy between husband and wife. Verse 6 says, and they were both righteous before God. And that word righteous there, I, I can't help but think there. They, they were righteous in position before God. At some point in their lives, they had entered into God's plan for man's place in his presence. Right? And this is, this is just the equation that we work through. In the Old Testament, by faith. They, they heard the word of God, God's promise that God would provide what's needed for them to step into that relationship with him. And it was by faith. Uh, for us today, right? how do we receive? How do we step into that plan for my place in God's pr presence? It's through what Christ did on the cross. Right? I am a sinner. My sins separate. So God provided what was needed for me to enter into his plan. His program. And I said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you came. I believe that you died on the cross. You paid the price for my sins. I, I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again. I believe that you're coming back. Uh, Lord, be my Savior. I, I believe. And I entered into that plan. That plan of salvation. That, that kingdom plan when we go bigger with it. So even just at that, that, that beginning point, they were both righteous before God. They had placed their faith in God's promises. And that's huge. They weren't grasping for what the world was, was wrestling with. They weren't searching after something for fulfillment. 
they had stepped into God's program, God's presence, His way. So they were both righteous before God, and, and there is no shortage of things that God can do with a godly couple. I mean, those aren't just stories we hear of 50 years ago where, where husband and wife, they get married and they go to the mission field and they're used. Or we see them serving faithfully in, in the local church, right? That isn't an age thing. It can happen today. And here's a model for us. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had a testimony. Faith for relationship Right? That's them standing before God in righteousness and obedience for spiritual fellowship. That's where you find yourself there walking in that intimacy. That's when you find yourself looking forward, like Bev had said there, like we have the kingdom that's coming. We, as we serve now, we know that we're going to be rewarded. We know that there's going to be a, a, an inheritance for us in the kingdom, the earthly kingdom. That's what helps us get through this life. But it also gives us an accountability to living in obedience now. We will stand before Christ. And that's again there from verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances, and the Lord blameless. These, this married couple love the Lord and are found serving, looking for the Messiah, looking for that coming kingdom. And that's a model that we need to take notice of. Verse 7, and again, culturally and, and different things, but, um, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. We all know that in the Jewish, Jewish culture, having children is very, very important. Right? They were always anticipating one that would, would come and be the Messiah. We could go back to Genesis and, and Eve's um, exclamation, I have acquired a man, the Lord, right? It, it, that, that was in the Jewish understanding that God would send someone to crush uh, Satan's head. But here they are in their 50s and there's no child. I think there's some disappointment there? Well, probably. You think of, of, of meeting with your family and, and I'm going to say bigger families back then and family is very much the center of it. I mean, it would have been before them. Right? And we're very sensitive to that. But it didn't stop them from serving, did it? Didn't stop them from being found godly and, and, and spiritually seeking God, living in, in obedience. And that was something that stood out to me there. I mean, here is an older couple seeking to live godly, um, but they're found serving to serve God in this way. We don't see them sitting back, we see them engaged where God has them. Right? We can't separate them. And, and, and I mean here, it, they're serving, they're found serving, and then they find themselves serving God in this way. It just stood out to me. Verse 8 and 9. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. I spent some time dwelling on the instructions. I mean, each one of these details, there, I mean, there was lists 
and, and they had programs and they had schedules for how this fell about, right? And everything was very, very well, well ordered. It, uh, I'm going to say it looked good on the outside. But there was something missing from Judaism. And what was he doing here? He was burning incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. He's in the house of the Lord offering incense that represents the prayers. And I thought too, even just 30 years later, when Jesus came to the house of the Lord, what was one of the first things that he did? He was flipping tables. He was cleansing the temple of the Lord. The condition of the people, they were, they were spiritually barren. There, there was apostasy. They weren't there to see the Lord. They weren't there. And I, I, that, that what triggered me, thinking about what this nation would have been praying about, living in this state of disobedience, and how this man must have felt going before the Lord. I mean, he's living in obedience, but the rest of his nation, and what that must have been like. Verse 10 says, the people, the whole multitude of people, the people was praying outside at the hour of in a, in, incense. Sorry, The people were praying in the outside court. I asked the question this morning to keep us engaged. Who were the people? Who were the people? They were God's people. I mean, this is the nation of Israel, and we want to make sure that this is emphasized there in the context. But these were God's people praying outside the temple. Um, what was the spiritual condition of God's people at this time? I mean, for lack of better there, it just was not good. To grasp this, and then I couldn't figure out how to condense the book of Malachi into a couple sentences, so I used the introduction um, to Malachi in my book. Can I just read that for you? It's in your notes there. 400 years prior to this event and the condition probably became worse, Malachi warns the people of Israel. This is 400 years prior. And this is kind of what has me, you know, calming myself and thinking more and more. This is the condition of God's people 400 years before. This is just an introduction. Malachi, a prophet in the days of Nehemiah, directs his message of judgment to a people plagued with corrupt priests. The, the, the assembly, the people that were supposed to look after their spiritual walks and spiritual care were corrupt. Wicked practices and a false sense of security in their privileged relationship with God. Now I understand this isn't a verse, but this is a good, good evaluation of what the condition of the people were at that time. A false sense of security in their privilege. Using the question and answer method, Malachi probes deeply into their problems of, and this is the condition of God's people, hypocrisy. Right? They, they know, but they don't do. Right? It's just hypocrisy, infidelity. What does that word mean? It means not being faithful, not being faithful to God, find yourself pulled away from obedience. We obviously think about marriages. Right? Not being faithful to your spouse. We understand that society, don't we? I mean, we would, that's godless. But here God's people are, are living and that's acceptable to them. Mixed marriages. Being unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
I think that touches most of our homes, right, that goes through that. Divorce, false worship, and arrogance. 400 years prior to, to the angel appearing to Zacharias, so sinful has the nation become that God's words to the people no longer have any impact. I think that's what grew out of that. What was Zacharias offering before God if his people were living like this? How do you pray for a nation that, that you know is living in this reprobate state before God? And, and they're going, no, no, it's okay. And that is the book of Malachi, is it not? You know, how, how do you say that, that we don't worship? Or how, how, what, what, what problem do you have with me, God? And that's the nation saying that. God's like everything right now. <laughs> you know, it, it's, just, it's just the state. I mean, don't think you're going to get away with this. Justice will be served. For 400 years after Malachi's ringing condemnations, God remains silent. God refuses to talk to them. That's a scary thought. No messengers, no nothing. Only with the coming of John the Baptist, prophesied in 3.1, does God again communicate to his people through a prophet's voice. And that's just to get us to grasp a little bit of what, what's going on in Zacharias' time. A multitude of people living in open sin, praying about what? Are we catching that now, this morning? What are the people living in open sin praying about? Does a believer live however they want and remain in spiritual fellowship with God? Is there not consequences for that? I mean, these people are coming to the temple praying like there's nothing wrong. I said, what about a church? What about the children of the church? We have more grandparents now. What about the children's children of the church? Does a believer live however they want and remain in spiritual fellowship with God? And we know the answer is no because of the studies, because of what we've been looking at. So verse 10, and the multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of innocence. And I'm like, about what? Um, there were some serious things that needed to be dealt with. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. There's an ambiance. And I, part of me is wrestling. Do I have to... Do I have to clearly state that I am very concerned about the state of God's people today? Right? Like I, 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 part of me is like, we should grasp that if we're here this morning reading this. I mean, this speaks to the world, to, to many aspects of the church, to our Christian nation today. Don't miss that. Um, that that's important for this flow. So the angel appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense that represents the prayers of the people. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. You realize where the state of the people are. I don't think that trouble and fear just comes from this weird-looking angel dude that we have in the picture behind us. Right? It's not just, just from this thing. Angels often meant judgment. Right? Angels, as they, they gave message for the God, if your nation wasn't where it was supposed to be, right? an angel was delivering a message from God, you need to correct this, or God's going to deal with this. And I mean, we see that through Exodus. Um, as the destroyer goes through, Sodom and Gomorrah, the pre-incarnate Christ and the two angels, um, David's sin at, at doing the census afterwards, 
Um, Daniel, I mean, he delivers, Gabriel delivers the message, and it's all eschatology, right? It's all about the coming um, judgment, it's accountability. So I, I truly believe that Zacharias, recognizing my people aren't spiritually where they need to be before God, um, God's going to do something here shortly, and all of a sudden this angel appears, and there's a troubling, reverent fear that comes about him. I don't even know whether people today would recognize a message from God. You think of what, what people are entrenched with, what people entertain themselves with. Um, I think there that hearts are, are very hard and necks are very stiff to anything that comes from the voice of God. And when I say that, I'm not talking about necessarily a preacher's voice, but from the Word of God. People no longer care. And that's why we're in the state that we're in. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And that is something that we can take to the bank, is it not? If we're a child of God, we're righteous before Him in position, and we are seeking to live in obedience, I must say, not, not giving allowance, not in perfection. I mean, we are far from perfect. But as we're pursuing, allowing Christ to live through us, we're seeking to live in that obedience, we know our prayers are heard. Maybe we won't get what we want <laughs> as we pray for the will of the Father, but, but we get what we need, whether it's just strength, whether it's clearing my mind of the thoughts that I'm having right now, whether it's um, one I'm working on is, is my tongue, right? Just, just, just maybe a little bit more graciousness. Um, there's some phrases. Um, one of them, a friend of mine kind of pointed out that I say, and he's like, what do you mean by that? And I mean, it's just a natural habit for me. Lord, help me with that, right? That doesn't need it. I'm not swearing or anything like that. It's just something that somebody grasped a hold of, right? And, and he's helping me with my tongue. That's something there that I know because I'm seeking him. I know that he's aiding me. I know that that prayer is heard. And let's not separate Zacharias and his wife. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And here we go. We got a little bit of a list here. We've got lots of time to do it. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I got my pen out there, and I understand here husband and wife are going to have joy and gladness. Um, we understand that that would come from probably holding this bundle of joy, right? I mean, that joy and gladness. We would understand that that joy and gladness would come from parents going, this child is marked to serve the Lord. Now, I think that would be any parents as you're praying um, for them to, to be godly parents and, and raise godly offspring and, and, and step out in the mission field and, and, and step into local church ministry, right? That, that's something that, that if you knew that was going to happen, <laughs> that would bring you joy and gladness. It would be a good reminder too, even for grandparents, they're never too young to start praying for that. Let them know that you're praying. Let their parents know that you're praying. Hey, you know what? I'm praying that that child is marked to serve powerfully in their local church. Right? That they would give their lives to Christ and be found as godly offspring for his kingdom. But here, there, the, the joy and gladness, and many will receive, pardon me, many will rejoice at his birth. There's a flip side to that. 
I know Chris and I, and I don't, I don't want to go too far this way, but this would just be us with our church family as we pray for children. And we've had conversations with other young couples. Do we really want to have kids? Not, but, but I mean, does, who in the right mind would bring a child into the world today? <laughs> you know, COVID era. I mean, if Chris was to be pregnant, um, I couldn't even go in the hospital and support her. Right? I mean, it's it just, it just, just one thing after another. School system. How's the school system today, kids? <laughs> you know, like it, who, who would want to bring a child into today's society? Even just spiritually. The conditions of the, the churches and the, and the children's ministries and, and you just have all that. I mean, who would, who would want to do that? Well, God commands us to. God asks us to pray and it's the purpose of raising godly people to carry on the next generation, Right? Pointing people to Christ. I mean, that is that's the thing. And it, you have yourself dwelling on this. What's the state of Israel that Zacharias is before? Spiritual apostasy. Disobedience. But in that, 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 and many will rejoice at his birth. Even when it's bleak, you know that there was still some anticipating that hope. Right, you still had some of God's people living faithfully, looking forward to the coming Messiah, coming kingdom. And that's enough. I mean, that, that is your faithful remnant. That is your, your group coming together, providing for that. But that many living in that nation that way, it, it, it would only, rejoicing would only come through repentance. Right? Rejoicing would only come through repentance. And I mean, that would be the call even for this morning. If you want joy, oftentimes it comes with getting on your knees before God and saying, you know what, there's something wrong in my life. There's something that, that, that needs to be corrected. And, and we're going to see that here in a second, that, that there were many things in God's people here in this passage, in this time, that weren't right before God. But the hope is still there. Many will rejoice at His birth. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Right? And shall, shall not drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Did everybody like John the Baptist? <laughs> no, I'm going to say uh, many, a large percentage there didn't. Um, he did there attract their flocks and droves of people out that responded. But it being great in the sight of the Lord, I just, it spoke volumes to he, he's going to obey God no matter what. Right? He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. This whole not drinking and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So he's going to be so set apart. He's going to be fully sanctified and set apart from God. He's not going to be even dabbling in the things of the world. He's going to be seeking to be that pure before God. You'll notice in the notes, I just kind of thinking about how do, you, how do you describe that? Judaism, you've got the temple practices that are empty. You've got people... Um, praying outside the temple courts that they're, as they're living in sin as if there's nothing wrong. Um, you've got them continue their day, day to day. And I thought about that. He's going to be so sanctified and pure, he's going to be separated from all love 
Judaism, all of this, all the falseness, all the hypocrisy. And you think about it, how many times do you read about John the Baptist being in the house of the Lord? Other than his circumcision, he was always calling people away from the falseness, calling people away from the religion, calling people all away from the heritage and the tradition, and he's calling on them to repent and turn to God. It's not just a physical thing, is it? Right? Spiritually, get your hearts right. Application for today? I'm not encouraging people to leave the churches the way they are. I'm not asking people to get away from the heritage and tradition. I mean, I've heard those excuses. Well, I don't think I'll go back because they just do things that way. Well, that's a pretty, pretty spiritually dry and withered statement. If you're part of a church that's spiritually alive, that you can pray with and cry with and serve with and, and reach out and evangelize with, you're not making those statements. That's something that that you're engaged with. John calls them away from that stagnant, his whole ministry, and we may may look at that a little bit um, next week there, but he's calling them away from this dead faith that they know, and this is James coming out, that they know, I mean, they, they have the Scriptures, and yet they're not living in obedience. They're in that place of barren apostasy. He's going to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We recognize that's Old Testament style where, where, where God gives the power. His Spirit would come upon and depart even from his mother's womb. I mean, this child was marked to spiritually, I want to say revive or at least challenge and rebuke his nation for where they stood before God. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. That's an interesting thing to to consider even. Turn. Turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. God's people were going somewhere. (laughs) To turn, they were heading in a direction. uh, Not to make this too much about COVID, but people are heading in a direction. And this child was going to be used of God to turn them spiritually back to the Lord their God. They knew about him. They had a covenant relationship with him. This isn't just the, the, the middle agers. The children know about God. The senior senior knows about God. Right, turn them back to the Lord their God. Verse 17 says, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Again, this is very familiar. Not so much familiar in our churches today. I mean, Sunday school disappears. You might ask, who is Elijah? The response is they're pretty, pretty quiet for people under the age of, let's say, 55. Right? The spirit of Elijah. These people knew who Elijah was, what he represented. And this just speaks to his attitude and boldness facing the apostasy of his country. If you haven't read through the, the narrative of Elijah as of late, 1 Kings, I think it starts in about 16 through to 2 Kings 1. Um, Give it a read. Here's a man that represented God and he was bold. He had his moments. uh, But his task was to place God before the people and call them back. 
I don't have time to turn to those passages, but hey, he says there as we continue to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. You put that on a sticky note and meditate on that. There's a number of things come out of that if you're really honest with yourself. Just a couple, and I'm not looking to hurt anybody. It's just causing us to to face the reality of what's going on. John the Baptist was going to come to this nation. They called themselves God's people. They're praying outside the house of the Lord, pretending that there's nothing wrong with their lives. And yet that culture is full of spiritually reprobate parents. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This isn't just there's no fathers in the home that we wrestle with today. The fathers that are in the home have no concern for the spiritual things. They're not, they're not passing that on to the next generation. Those fathers are probably still praying, right, in the temple. The, the, and, and maybe we should attach grandfathers because the fathers today don't step up. The grandfathers need to, right? Grandmothers are for the most part, but grandfathers need to. Right? It's a turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This isn't just physically. This isn't just teaching them how to split wood and bale hay. This is introducing them to Jehovah. Introducing them to what faith in God's plan for man's place in His presence is. Just in a capsule. Spirit reprobate parents. And this was the assembly of God's people that He's speaking to. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Disobedience means that they know. You can't be disobedient in ignorance, can you? Don't go too far with that. (laughs) But I mean, to be disobedient, you know, and yet you're choosing not to live that way. Again, I'm not trying to... I lived this way for 10 years. I I was... (laughs) I, I was that son... Um, there's godly sorrow, I'm not mocking it, it, it there's remorse, um, so I get it. But that's, that's the culture, that's the nation, that's the spiritual state of these people. Um, they were raised to know, but there's hope from this. John the Baptist is going to serve, and he's going to turn, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, there's hope that people will repent and respond to God's truth from the faithful. Those that know me, I keep always encouraging those that have children, those that um, have close loved ones that uh, know uh, and they're not living for the Lord. You have to continue to bring them back to God's line, God's standard. It's God's way. As much as you love them and you continue to love them, but the, the, the line is God's standard. And that's exactly what John does. He calls them out of their religion, calls them on their faces in emptiness, calls them away from all that and says, repent and turn your heart back to God. Verse 17, and he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. No, we just read that. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we just land this. If that statement has never stood out to you before, I really hope it does this morning. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Who is the people here? Okay. God's people. Right. And this isn't talking about the nations. This is specifically for God's chosen nation who have the scriptures, who have the temple, who have the, 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 the instructions, but they're not prepared for the Lord. Bev mentioned that earlier in her reading. 
To make ready a people. Who's the people? It's God's people. What does prepared mean? I mean, aren't they praying outside the temple? Aren't they warming the spot outside the house? Is that what prepared means? <laughs> it's preparing their hearts spiritually ready for the Lord's return. Ready for the Lord's coming. And that's speaking to God's people. A messenger of salvation had come. And that's, that's the angel's message. A messenger of salvation had come. Now, he wasn't the light, but he was a messenger of the light. Messenger of salvation had come, but it was to God's people first. God's people knew and ignored that judgment comes when the king comes. Is the king going to come and just allow you to continue living however you want? No, that's not the way it works. Unless, of course, you're living in righteousness and blameless before him. But the, the large percentage is you don't live however you want. You are a subject of the king. And if you are living in sin, if you are living in spiritual barrenness and you don't give a rip about the word of God, guess what? The king will deal with you. And that's something that, that, that we just, for some reason, we leave that out of here. This has never changed. Judgment comes when the king comes. If you notice in your notes, just for time, Revelation twenty two twelve, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. Most people read that and go, oh yes, I can't wait. Why don't you get quiet with somebody? Just have a quick conversation about your spiritual walk with God, because that's what it's based on. How you're serving, how, how the Spirit is leading you in the things of Christ. Otherwise, there's a flip side to that. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So the challenge this Christmas is this. The messenger, messenger of salvation, grasping of that. When we are all gathered and it's loud. Anybody got loud families? Can't even hear yourself think there when you're all at the table. I think there most of us can identify with that. And it's loud. You're enjoying one another. Family traditions, meals, activities, crazy family photos. Um, let's not exclude the broken family members. Right? The ones that are in addictions. The ones that are going through the divorce. The ones that are going through and fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Let's not leave that out. When you're all together... Ask yourself the question, are we a people prepared for the coming of the Lord? First John 2.28 says, and now the little children, children, you have to have placed your faith in Christ to be a child of God. We understand that. That's the beginning point. Abide in him. That's talking about your obedience. That's talking about your spiritual intimacy. That's your connected, that, that's your prayer life. You're, you're going to Him in the Word. You're connected with other believers. Abide in Him that when He appears, right? We're looking forward to the rapture. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. We sing songs looking forward to His coming. We, uh, we read, we send cards, we talk about it. But it's going to be a serious time, isn't it? There's a judgment seat. 
the king comes, the judgment comes. You are either living in spiritual obedience or you're not. It's that simple. There has to be a complete picture here. You close that thought with, how or what do I do? Because I know our family went, with, went, went through a rough, rough 10 years. And, and my little brother and, and sister-in-law will be out, so um, there may be a chance to give testimony at a prayer meeting or something. But uh, how or what do I do? And the counsel that I would give is read, read the Word. Right, that's, that's what God has given us to lead us in those situations, to prepare us. And naturally, James is a good place to start. That's where we've been studying. Right, allow, allow God to use that. But that's a serious, serious thing to consider. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just think of this Christmas season and we think of all the busyness, but also opportunity. Um, even just in conversations this morning, many have already used the word different. It's going to be a different Christmas. Uh, children nervous of joining families, uh, hesitant, Lord, to, to, to get together, Lord, and, and it's going to be different. But Lord, different isn't always bad. And I pray that you would be with each one of us as we prepare for these seasons. Lord, you would give us a grace and a mercy, a compassion, just to work and, and be able to roll up our sleeves and, and rub shoulders with those that are really, really confused and lost right now. Lord, all of our families have hurt and brokenness and lostness. And uh, I'm even going to say some, some don't, won't even admit that there's something wrong. And Lord, yet we have the answers. And Lord, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts to be a messenger of you. Lord, John the Baptist would bring salvation uh, and deliverance and rescue. Lord, he would put that before his people. Lord, I pray that we would be found in the same place. And that we wouldn't try and do it alone. Lord, yes, we would ask for you. But Lord, we have a church family that's, that's equipped or being equipped side by side to step into these details. And I pray that you would strengthen us for that. And Lord, that you would draw people to yourself or back to yourself. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.